Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Melanie Boylan. Hi, I'm delighted to be here today with Abigail Harrison, also known as Astronaut Abby. Abigail is an American author, scientist, internet personality, public speaker, science communicator, and advocate for STEAM education, particularly in the area of United States space program, but she's also constantly dreaming of being the first human on Mars. Welcome, Abby. Hi, thanks so much for having me on today. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, one of the first things I wanted to ask you about actually is we're based here in Ireland and our kids dream big, just as big as yours do too. Is it possible for the next generation here in Ireland to also reach for the stars and make it happen? Absolutely. And I would say that it's not only possible for the next generation of Irish kids to dream for and actually reach the stars, but it's imperative that they do so. And that you and I and everyone else supports this next generation that's coming up in dreaming big and being able to actually achieve and reach those dreams. Uh, I would say that especially now, and you'll hear me say this a couple times probably throughout the podcast, especially now, it's really important that we don't look at the way that things are currently, but the way they could be within the lifetime of this next generation. When it comes to space exploration, I think this is the best time to be alive. This is the golden age of space exploration where we're really seeing things take off, pun fully intended, <laughs> take off and, <laughs> or lift off, shall we say, um, but we're fully seeing things lift off and we're seeing things change really quickly as well, which means that if you're a young person who is growing up in a country right now that doesn't have an established presence in space or doesn't seem to have very much um, connection to space exploration, that doesn't mean that you can't in your future or that your country won't in, in the near future. I think that with the kind of explosion that we're seeing of space exploration, both private and public industry, a lot is gonna change over the next couple decades. And it's important that we make sure that kids everywhere, including in Ireland, are aware of that and are able to hold on to those big space dreams that they might have. You brought up a very good question there actually about private space exploration as well as um, you know public as well. Um, do you think you know SpaceX who's now managed to achieve that has it made a significant difference to how the race will continue from here on? Oh, absolutely. Private industry is uh, changing, drastically changing the space industry as a whole and is also playing, as you said, a, a large factor or part in this race that's going on. And I think that it's fantastic to have companies like SpaceX and you know Blue Origins and all of these other companies that are out there that are making these big steps and these great strides in space exploration. I think that not only is that good for private space exploration, but it's good for public space exploration. So space exploration that's driven through national programs like NASA, like ESA, the European Space Agency, all of those, because when you have these private companies that are taking these big steps forward, that not only challenges the public companies to then be able to take big steps forward as well. It also allows them to collaborate and to utilize a lot of what's being developed in the private industry will then go to support the public industry. And it's one of these things that might have seemed unimaginable a couple decades ago to think that there are these two different sectors of space exploration. But I think that 
it's going to be imperative or incredibly important in the future for people like me and uh, those growing up in Ireland right now who might want to go farther in space, do things like go to Mars, stuff that we've never done before. That kind of an, um, step outside, I guess you could say, of what we've done in space exploration up to this point is going to require these new technologies, these new ways of looking at things. And it's going to require, I, I believe, a partnership between public, public and private space exploration. I agree. I think definitely agree with the challenge it's going to be giving the public space programs as well, um, because, you know, they're, they're always pushing the limits, both private and public, aren't they? And they're all trying to beat each other. So I think it's actually going to really bring the, the whole journey forward faster. Um, one, one other thing I wanted to ask is that, um, do you think because there's now a renewed interest, you know, Mars is sounding more and more possible. And now we're talking about, you know, the gateway over the moon and everything when we've got a whole new generation of children and adults um, back interested in space. Do you think this is going to aid space programs globally? Absolutely. I think that the renewed interest that we're seeing uh, right now, both like you said in Mars, but also at a nearer point in the moon is absolutely going to help aid and um, maybe just light a fire under space uh, agencies and programs around the world. And I think that it's really a fantastic thing to have something like the moon as this shorter term goal, you could say, that's more accessible. It's something that we can actually see happen and get done within the next couple of years. Whereas when we're talking about a mission to Mars, it's, it's a hard thing to um, use as your focal point sometimes, especially for the public, because it is in our future. It's in our near future, but it's still more than a decade away easily. Yeah. And that makes it a little bit difficult to get people really excited and ramped up about it. But something like the moon, returning to the moon, or for some countries going to the moon in the first place, mm. that we have the ability to reasonably do over the next couple of years. And I think that that'll make a, a massive impact in how countries and the people of countries view space exploration. And it'll really help hopefully to get everyone on board with continued and, and further space exploration in the near future. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I do think we've been very lucky with the administrations, um, you know, here and in Russia and in, in the US that have been very supportive as well. They've all, you know, kept funding going for each of the programs, which is always helpful. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Funding, is, uh, <laughs> as we're all aware, funding is such an important part of space exploration. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah um so let's get back to the kids again okay and how we can make this possible for the next generation now you you're very very lucky um in the us that you have space camps and are very accessible to school children and to teenagers and going up um, it's a massive start on the road to space but unfortunately, it's not a concept we have here in Ireland, other than sort of half term, summer holidays and after school stuff. Um, we can engage as, you know, as a country, as a nation here to the European Space Agency. And we have some educational bodies here in Ireland that have a very close affiliation, namely UCD or University College Dublin. Is this something we should change in order to fully realise Irish children's dreams of space? That's, it's a really good question. It's a really good question to pose. And I think that 
it's a little bit delicate because there are so many different ways to go about inspiring and exposing and exciting and supporting young people in space and with aspirations for being involved in the space program uh, or space exploration. And space camp is only one of those ways. It's one that's definitely near and dear to my own heart. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I have a little bit of a, an interesting feel good story about space camp, which is that- Go for it, we'd love to hear <laughs> it. Um, it makes me really proud to tell this story. So I, I love to drop it in, <laughs> which is that when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, my family couldn't afford to send me to space camp. I, my mom was a single mom who was raising two kids. She was a public school teacher, which as you know, in the US is not the most lucrative of careers. Yeah, not either, <laughs> trust me. Oh, it's such a shame. Um, but so she'd actually heard about space camp a couple of years before I'd heard about it from people in our sphere, her friends and colleagues and whatnot, who'd brought her pamphlets and whatnot about it and said, you should send Abby to this because everyone knew that I wanted to be an astronaut and that I was super excited about space. And my mom looked through them and looked on the website and decided there was no way that she could tell me about space camp. I was probably like 10 years old at this time. There was no way that she could tell me about space camp because it was a thousand dollars a week to go. A week? Plus a week. Plus airfare to go from Minneapolis, so Minnesota, all the way down to Alabama. It was just insanely outside of our family's ability to pay for something like that. But a couple of years later, I heard about it independently from her. So someone else told me about it. And we found a organization called Reach for the Stars, which was a nonprofit that helped kids within my state, Minnesota, fundraise and also gave scholarships to help kids who were at a financial disadvantage or had financial need to still be able to go to space camp. And so I went to space camp my first time when I was 13 on a partial scholarship. Um, I told the story about my own experience with space camp, but I, I didn't get to mention something that's important to me, which is that space camp it is an incredible experience. It's very cool. It's inspiring. It's hands-on, all of that. But when it comes down to it, it's not the only way to have a great experience with space or with STEM. It's not the end-all be-all. And it actually doesn't, um, while it does inspire and support kids to keep chasing after their dreams, it doesn't actually give American kids a, a leg up, I guess you could say, over kids anywhere else in the world to have gone to space camp. It's not a credential. No, it doesn't. It's, yeah, it's not a credential. It's not something you can put on your resume or anything like that. It's, it's a camp that you pay to go to. You go, it's fun and it's inspiring, but it's not, um, it's not like going to university or anything like that. Uh, and so I would just really like to um, emphasize, I guess, to all the kids in Ireland that you don't have to look at kids who have gone to space camp, whether they're American or whether they're international going to the US to go to space camp and say, well, they've gone to space camp and I haven't, so I can't achieve this dream. Absolutely not. It, it doesn't impact or influence your ability to chase after a dream in space. Um, and I think that's something that gets misrepresented a lot. And I don't want any kid out there to feel like they can't be successful in space just because they haven't had this opportunity to go to space camp. And there's a lot of really great ways that you can be associated or have a, a hands-on learning experience with STEM and with space that are not space camp as well. Okay, well, no, that's really 
really useful to know. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and here's where the story gets really um, why I'm so proud to tell it is because I'm now 23. So this is 10 years later, one decade. And my mom and I co-founded a, a nonprofit called the Mars Generation. And one of the things that the Mars Generation does is it provides full paid scholarships, including transportation and everything else associated, all the other costs associated to students in the US living below the national poverty line to go to space camp. And we've given away 44 scholarships to students in just the last couple of years. And so it's really crazy to me to think that a decade ago, I was receiving a scholarship to do this life-changing experience of getting to go somewhere where I met all of these other young people who had the same interests and passions as I did. And now a decade later, I've been able to facilitate that opportunity for 44 other young people and hopefully many more in the future. Wow, that's one hell of a way to give back, Abby. <laughs> Thank you. It's one of those things where I feel really uncomfortable touting my accomplishments or bragging or anything like that in most cases, but this is the one that I will always say, my mom and I did this and yeah. it's incredible. And I am so proud and happy to have been able to found this nonprofit with my mom because she taught me everything that I know about giving back and about making sure to keep the door open for everyone else behind you mm. as well. So- just out of interest, have you kept up with any of your classmates from any of the space camps? A little bit, yeah. I still, it's a fantastic world that we live in where you can keep up with people through things like Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. And so it's really fantastic because every now and then I see friends of mine who I went to space camp with 10 years ago and they've just gotten their pilot's license or they've just graduated from college or things like that where I'm seeing them or they're getting married just crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm seeing them do all of these incredible things and take these steps in their lives. And I think it's really wonderful to get to still be in touch and every now and then chit chat with some of them as well and to still be in touch with those friends that I made years and years ago. Is there anybody else who's had the same aspirations as yourself 10 years ago in, and going along a similar path? Or have they all kind of tangentially wandered off? Oh, you mean like friends of mine from space camp? Yeah, that are now maybe, you know, doing something similar to you. Yeah, I have a really fantastic friend um, from space camp who I met way back when. And uh, um, she inspires me greatly because she went on to not only become a private pilot, but then to become an instructor. Oh, so wow. she's now a flight instructor. Yeah, which <laughs> is incredible. I'm a private pilot, but it's a much bigger step to go on to become an instructor, especially at such a young age. And so watching same her age journey, as you is the same age as me. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And it's incredible. She is just Jesus. amazing. Yeah. And she really inspires me. Wow. Okay. Well, especially, <laughs> it is brave. And especially in a field like uh, aerospace and aviation, hmm. where it is so male dominated, there are, at least in the United States, only 5% of pilots are women. And right. that number gets even smaller when you look at the number of female instructors. And so I think that she's incredible. I think that she did, uh, took a really incredible career path and made it happen. Well, I actually didn't know you were a pilot, actually. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was interesting to find out. Um, 
I want to ask you about a young lad that um, we recently had over here in Ireland. Um, we've got something called the Late Late Toy Show, and it was it was on a few weeks back. And I know we spoke just before um, we started recording. You have actually seen and heard about this. And we had an Irish six-year-old boy called Adam King who actually spoke with Commander Chris Hadfield after he showed aspirations for space in this year's toy show. The very fact that Commander Hadfield made the time to speak to him was an absolute dream come true because Adam wants to become um, an administrator in Capcom. Do you think there is really access for children of every ability in space? Absolutely. I think that everyone can and should dream, everyone who's interested can and should dream of a career in space exploration. And when it comes down to it, there are there are currently limitations on who can actually go to space. There are a lot of physical demands of the job, things like that, that make it difficult if you have underlying conditions. Um, but that said, I have two caveats that I think should give everyone hope and should give everyone passion to continue chasing after a big dream in space exploration. And the first caveat is that like Adam, there are so many jobs and ways to be involved in space exploration that don't actually require you to go to space. Mm. Tens of thousands of people who support every single launch. And those jobs are incredible. They're exciting, they're interesting, they're important. And regardless of anything that might be holding you back, I suppose, from actually going to space, you can still be involved in one of those many, many, many different jobs um, through uh, or many, many different ways of uh, being a part of space exploration and space missions through one of these adjacent jobs. And it's not just the classic ones that you would think of like being, um, you know, a mathematician or a rocket propellant chemist or an aerospace engineer or something like that. After astronaut, those are probably the types of jobs we think of next that would be important or sought after for space exploration. But the reality is that there are tons and tons of jobs in every sector and every field that you could imagine that are involved in space. So things like publicists and artists and educators and communicators and all of these different people are so important as well to space exploration. Tons of different fields and jobs within the arts and humanities careers that make space exploration possible and make it possible for us to share it with the public as well mm. and to make it engaging and accessible to the public. So whether or not you're, you know, a classic example might be you're bad at math, doesn't matter. You can still be involved in space exploration. Um, so I really hope that Adam does continue to go on with his aspirations to be involved in space exploration. And who knows, maybe someday on my mission to Mars, he'll be the Capcom or the capsule communicator that I'll talk to. Wouldn't that be so cool? Wouldn't that be beautiful? That would be so cool. Talking about <laughs> round robin, that would be absolutely perfect. It would be amazing. And then we'd be able to come back to this interview and say, you know, two decades later, called it, we made it happen. <laughs> oh, that would be lovely. Um, one extra, if you don't mind, the one extra yeah, yeah. additional caveat that I want to throw in there uh, about young people who might currently not be eligible for space exploration because of something like Adam who has uh, brittle bone disease, right? Mm -hmm. So 
this is a question that I hear a lot is as a, an advocate for women in STEM and space exploration and a public figure in space exploration. I have over the years gotten asked so many times I've received messages that are just, they absolutely have tugged at my heartstrings from kids and students around the world asking, I want to be an astronaut. I want to go to space, but I have a congenital heart condition or I have asthma, or I have any number of things that currently might disqualify you from being able to safely go to space. And they ask me, is it still possible? Could it still happen? And one of the things that makes me so excited about being passionate and being involved in space in this day and age is that the answer that I can give these young people and the answer that I would give anyone listening who might have that same kind of um, something holding them back from becoming an astronaut is that it is possible and that it is something that could happen in the future and to not give up hope because just because the requirements are quite limiting and restrictive right now doesn't mean that they will be in the next couple of decades. With the way that space exploration is going, it's absolutely possible that the number and type and, and such of people who are eligible and able to participate in space exploration through actually going to space could change. It could drastically um, grow. Mm. And so I, I just really think that every young person and every kid who's listening to this or who might hear this should know that they can continue to dream of space exploration, being involved in it from here on earth, which is incredibly important, or possibly even someday going to space themselves. And that's for everyone. And it's not necessarily a young person's job flying in space either, because they're, they're getting quite old, I've noticed as well. So we have time. We have, as you say, maybe a couple of decades for them absolutely. to grow up. That you don't, You're not in, normally in your 20s when you do it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. We have time for them to grow up. And we also have time for the science and technology involved to change. Yeah. And that is what I think is really going to make a big impact on who's able to go to space is that someone right now who might not be eligible, who's growing up and does have a medical condition or something that um, is holding them back from being able to go to space, 50 years down the road, 60 years down the road, the technology and the science that we have available in regards to space exploration might make it possible for them to still go to space. And I think that's incredible to think about and to um, for, for everyone today to know not to give up don't give up hope on your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the most aspirational people that I've spoken to in the last couple of years in the space program is Jordan Evans. I spoke to him at the Dublin Tech Summit a couple of years ago. And um, he was saying, and he he's, uh, works at JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Um, and he's saying, you know, the astronauts are amazing and they get all the attention. But at the end of the day, it's the engineers that put them up there <laughs> and he's absolutely right uh, you know they're obviously doing everything safely up there <laughs> um but you know even if you're working um, as an engineer you, the, the advancements and the changes and the safety and just the incredible power that you're involved in being an engineer you know you're still you know safely on the ground <laughs> but what you've what you've made possible is incredible. I mean, they're putting satellites up there, rovers, um, 
it's just incredible what, what the engineers are doing. So there's a place for everybody of, of every kind of um, ilk and industry, isn't there? Absolutely. There is absolutely a place for everybody within space exploration. And I think that you're absolutely right as well that we often focus on or we see, uh, I'd say there are two groups that end up being the stars, if you will. Space pun number two of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> who end up being the stars or the public face of space exploration. And those two groups are astronauts, obviously, and then rovers. <laughs> yeah. Because everyone yeah. loves to the cute little Mars rovers. Um, but the reality behind it is exactly what you said, which is that there are all these other people who are putting astronauts and rovers and satellites and everything else in space and making their missions happen, making them safe, making them successful, all of that, hmm. who are here safely on ground. Um, and it's amazing to think about how many ways there are to be involved and how many roles there are to, uh, to be involved in with the space program. There's really a place for everyone. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just glad we managed to get that across. Now, I've, I've been having my ear slightly to the ground, so apologies here. Um, the, the, this month, NASA made an announcement and stated that the Team II, which is Teams Engaging Affiliated Museums and Informal Institutions, holy moly, that is a long <laughs> program. Space, the space industry loves their acronyms. <laughs> they really do. Um, that, that program has selected three additional informal education organizations to promote learning in STEM with the goal of inspiring the next generation of explorers, which is what this whole podcast has essentially been about. Um, now, the main aim of this is um, to reach populations that are historically underrepresented in STEM professions. Do you feel this is enough? No, no, I don't think. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, I actually, I do get asked this question, not this exact question, but a very similar one I get asked frequently of, is X initiative enough? Yeah. Especially in, in terms of the area that I can speak the most strongly to is in terms of inequality as it pertains to women in STEM mm -hmm. and in space exploration. But I get asked it in terms of other inequalities as well um, and such. And my answer is always no. No matter what the initiative is, it's not enough. That doesn't mean that it's not something that I'm excited about or mm. that it's not important or that it's not a good step, but it's not enough. And it won't be enough for a long time. I think that it's good to recognize that because otherwise we'll, we'll look at a, a, a step like this, an initiative that's being taken. And it's easy to say, well, let's you know, dust our hands off, the problem's fixed we solved inequality yeah. <laughs> and then stop, stop working towards solving it. When in reality, this is one small step that needs to be taken to climb a very, very big mountain. And I think that there's a lot ahead of us that we can do and that we should be doing. Um, but at the same time, it's good to celebrate these small steps and to say it may not be enough, but it is important and it is exciting. And I think it's fantastic and wonderful to see um, something like this program happening. Well, it is alongside other similar small programs and yourself, you're supporting people um, getting to space as well. 
Um, but, you know, we're very fortunate over this side. I know we've, I've kind of said, you know, Ireland, unfortunately, doesn't have space camps. But what we do have locally to us, if you like, um, is we have the International Space University in France. Would this be a valuable stepping stone to space for people outside of the US? And have you seen it or, or attended out of interest? I haven't had a chance to visit or attend ISU yet, but I definitely have heard of them. We follow each other on Twitter, all of that. <laughs> um, and I think that ISU is a really fantastic educational program and institution. I think that it does hold a lot of value and it's an incredible thing to have for, not just for Ireland, like you said, but for a lot of people and countries um, in the area to have access to something like ISU is, is really incredible. And I do hope someday to, uh, to visit and to get to see the fantastic work that's being done there in person. I think that um, ISU is wonderful. I would also throw in, so I'm not an expert on uh, Irish space um, in any way, <laughs> but I am also familiar with another great program called the Space Generation Advisory Council which is in Ireland and it's a, a website that you can go, or they have a website that you can go to where they list a lot of really fantastic ways to get involved with space, including ISU um, from Ireland. And I think that anyone who's listening, who's looking for a way that they can get involved with space or to have a, a hands-on inspiring experience with space um, could go and check them out as well and possibly find something there that will meet that desire. Well, it's very valuable. Thank you very much. Of course. Um, <laughs> you know, your spirit and passion for space has been obvious since you started at the tender age of 13, making waves and changes. Um, and you've got a book which is being launched in January 2021 um, that could be essential reading for young people globally to give them the needed roadmap. How did you plan it out? And what can you offer our listeners that can help them assist the next generation to space? How did I plan it? Mm. Oh. Yeah, because space plan number work got workbooks and, and activities throughout. I mean, what made you think of that structure? Yeah, absolutely. So it just it seemed kind of like a natural way to go when I started writing. So my book is uh, titled "Dream Big: How to Reach for Your Stars," and it will be published in um, Jan on January 19th, 2021. So that's coming up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, it's being published through Penguin Random House and, uh, just to give everyone a little bit of background and such, but when I started writing it, it seemed really natural to set it up as a guided process type book where it starts out at the beginning, introducing the reader to what, what is a dream? Do you have one? If you don't have one, but you want to have one, or you think you might have one, how do you go about finding it mm. and determining what it is? And then it moves through all the different steps and stages of a dream of how do you learn how to be confident about it, to speak about it? How do you take steps and action, actions towards making that dream a reality? How do you find support from your community, from mentors, all of those types of people? What do you do when you fall down? all of that, like when you fail, because you will fail <laughs> at, at various points along the, the road towards reaching a dream, you will have roadblocks that you run into, things that go wrong. Um, and you need to know how to, how to handle that and how to pick yourself back up and keep going. And then at the end, it, go, it, uh, it ends with talking about how do you then 
use your dream and your journey towards your dream to make a positive impact on the world and wow. to help other people reach their dreams as well. Um, and the reason that it made sense for me to structure it as this guided process is because it's exactly what I've been going through for the last decade or so, which is figuring out, I already knew what my dream was, but figuring out how to go about reaching it. I didn't have a guidebook that I could follow. I didn't have prescribed steps or advice or anything like that. That was all laid out in a book format for me that I could say, well, here's how I, here's what I do in this situation or how I handle this or how I take the next step. I kind of had to just feel my way through all of that and look for advice from people around me and such. Um, and I wanted to put that all in, in one spot for, for young people and other, not young people. It's really, I tried to write it in a way that would be applicable and engaging to anyone of any age. Um, but I wanted to make it so that there was a more clear, concrete kind of friend there to help anyone along their way towards achieving a dream. Um, and I'm really fortunate to have worked with an incredible editor. Ed <laughs> I'm really fortunate to have worked with an incredible editor at Penguin um, who was able to help me as well with laying that out and then introducing a lot of really interesting and engaging things throughout the book as well, like workbook style activities and self-guided journaling and things like that and um, art. I, the other person that, I have to say that I'm so thankful to and who I think really um, was important and imperative, like it would not be the same book without, is my artist who came in and was able to depict a lot of the things that I was talking about, uh, take, take all these words that I was putting out there and turn them into beautiful and compelling and engaging art for the reader to see as they go through the book. Now, I just, so I just want to ask, um, I saw your TEDx where you were talking when, um, when you were talking about how you met a certain astronaut at <laughs> Insecurity. Um, so Luca Povetano, um, are you still in contact with him? Yes, I am. Um, Luca, so <laughs> it's so funny that you bring up my TED talk. So I was 15 when I gave that TED talk. I know, and... it was staggering. <laughs> Thank you. And I remember when I gave it, um, or before I gave it, actually, I'd been invited to give this talk. And this was very early on in my time of being an advocate and a public figure and such in STEM. I just started to do all of this science communication work that I was doing. I just started to put my dream out to the world at large. Uh, and this was one of the first like big presentations that I had the opportunity to give. And I remember my mom telling me, when I was pre preparing for it, she said, you have to make sure it's good. You have to put a lot of time and effort and energy into this app because it will follow you for the rest of your life. And it has. And <laughs> it has. I'm here now, I'm 23. And I, I have to say that I love that talk. I obviously now with a couple of years of experience and having grown and whatnot, there are definitely things that I would have changed or done differently. And that I think maybe I should give another TED talk soon <laughs> to update. This time it'll be a TED talk rather than Yeah, yeah. I like it. <laughs> but, uh, but overall, I'm really proud of the talk that I gave and I, I am happy that it's still being brought up by people even now. So it has followed me 
and hopefully it's it reflects well. Um, but that to say, all that to say, in the TED Talk, for those who haven't watched it, if you haven't yet, you should go watch it. It's called um, What's Your Mars? That's what it's called, I think. Oh That's my right, God. yeah. <laughs> my brain just left me for a minute there. Um, but so in the TED Talk, I tell this, this story about a time when I met an astronaut and it was actually, it wasn't an American astronaut. It was an astronaut from the European Space Agency, um, Luca Parmentano from, from Italy. Uh, and I met him in a humorous way where I met him in the airport in a security line um, and introduced myself. And he ended up being one of the kindest, most generous, most giving people that I've ever met. He sat down with me for about an hour and talked with me. He let me interview him for a school project I was doing and then spent the rest of the hour just answering my questions and giving me advice and telling me stories about what it was like to become an astronaut. And at the end of that meeting, he wrote down his email address for me and he said, here's my email address. I will be your astronaut. If you have any more questions, you can email me. Yeah, and it was, I was 13 and it, or when, yeah, when I met him, I was 13. And that was a moment in my life where Luca did something that to him was, it was a rather small thing. He took an hour out of his day and he gave away his email address. To me, that was, that was the world to me at that point. That was something that- It's a turning point. <laughs> a tur absolutely a turning point. It's something mm. that it's impossible to look back on your life and to say what would have happened if something didn't happen or if something did happen. But in this instance, I am fairly confident in saying that that was a turning point and that that was something that as I got older and especially as I went through my teenage years, which is a time when it's been proven that girls tend to lose interest in STEM and tend to um, not feel as comfortable as well in STEM and drop out of those subjects and those fields and those interests. I can say that having that kind of support and knowing that there was someone who had already made it to this truly out of this world dream that I aspired to, someone had already made it there and they believed in me. That made a difference for me growing up. And that made a difference in my life and my ability to continue to pursue and chase after this big dream. Um, and so it's really, it's been great to, to have Luca on, on my team, I guess you could say. Um, he's very busy and I'm also a little bit oh. busy these days, so we don't get to talk very often, but he's always there when it matters as well, which is really nice. He, um, mm. most recently tweeted to congratulate me on, uh, getting a new job at Harvard medical school as a researcher. So it's nice to stay in touch. As do, you know, <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um, so um, we can learn more about um, the Mars generation and um, just remind us where we can get hold of that. I'm sorry, you just cut out there for a minute. Would you be able to repeat that? Sorry. Um, yeah, if you could remind us where we can learn more about the Mars generation and where we can get your book. Absolutely. So you can learn more about the Mars generation at themarsgeneration.org or on social media. Um, we're on pretty much every social media platform as the Mars generations. So that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all of them, YouTube. Um, and then you can also follow me either through my website, which is astronautabby.com, or once again, on all of the different social media accounts, I'm astronautabby. 
and I would love to have anyone who's listening who might be interested in hearing more, watching my journey, becoming a part of my community, go check out the Mars Generation, come follow me on social media, and um, I'd be glad to have you. As for the book, you can also find a, uh, a link to that at themarsgeneration.org or astronautabbey.com. Or you can find it um, in a lot of different bookstores uh, or through Amazon, places like that as well. Well, well, thank you so much for your time, Abigail. So glad to have you and so glad that you've been so open about your journey and so supportive, not to the kids in, in the US, which is obviously where you hail from, but you have helped children and parents uh, manage their finances <laughs> as well. Um, so, you know, it's been really appreciated that you've given me this time today and we really look forward to watching your ongoing journey and hopefully to be the first human on Mars. Thank you. I appreciate spending the time with you and your audience today. Well, that's all for now, guys, but keep coming back. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and you, you'll get to meet and hear from some more fascinating people. Thanks for listening. Please find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and our website and subscribe to our podcast today.